Welcome to the How and the Why. With John Barrett Ingalls. Exploring and celebrating the creative process and the creative purpose of authors, editors, and artists that make up and inspire the Black Hill Press family. Black Hill Press is dedicated to the novella. We believe a great story is never defined by its length. Let's get creative. podcast from the first anniversary of Black Hill Press, recorded at the last bookstore in downtown Los Angeles. Welcome. My name is John Barrett Ingalls. I'm with Black Hill Press, and we're here with the how and the why. And this is our uh, way of delving into the process and the purpose behind the collaborate, collaborative works that make up Black Hill Press. And today we're going to be talking with our team from Sing for Life, Tin Pan Alley, Douglas Cowie, the author, Tunabora, the artist, Hi. Lon Kuntz, the editor. Welcome. So one of the first things that uh, I'm going to bring up is uh, inspiration. And uh, let's <laughs> start with the uh, inspiration of the story. I, I know that this was um, a follow-up, or that you said it was the same character that you put into a novel before. Yeah. So I'm going to try and keep this relatively succinct, because it's kind of a complicated story how this came about. But I, yeah, I published a novel uh, eight years ago called Owen Noon and the Marauder, and um, then did various other writing projects in between. And the idea for this one, I, I don't really, I'm not sure it's really inspiration per se, because it... Um, not, I'm not trying to criticize your question. <laughs> your stupid question. Because <laughs> um, it wasn't like I said, I, 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 didn't, I don't know, if you read the, the novella, it's, it's not necessarily an inspiring story. <laughs> um, so anyway, the idea was, I had this idea, uh, I wanted to write a story about someone getting just like psychologically lost in a big city, which I guess comes from having spent quite a lot of time in a variety of big cities. Um, I started making I started making notes when things occurred to me, and I started thinking about how I might make a story out of this idea. And as I started making notes about the character who I wanted to get lost, I figured it would be a kind of like physically lost as well as psychologically. I started realizing that the kind of character I was developing was really similar to one of the characters in that novel. And uh, as I started thinking about that. I, I kind of first started thinking like, oh, is this just this is how I this is all my characters are like this or what? And then I thought, oh, well, why don't I just make this character that character? Because suddenly I, got, I hadn't really planned to write a sequel, and I don't really think this book is a sequel per se. Um, Spinoff. It's, yeah, it's like it's um, Frasier to the first novel's Cheers, <laughs> um, or whatever. Um, <laughs> I was going to say Fifty Shades of Grey to no, Twilight, but it's, I won't say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks. 
Uh, we can edit that part out, right? Um, there is no. At any rate, so then I started thinking about like what possibilities that were there for this character, um, to the, uh, and that novel is about music. And I, at the same time, somewhat serendipitously, started reading a, a history of American music that kind of started with the first transcriptions of Native American songs and ended with hip hop. And, uh, and kind of took in everything in between. And that, for me, was a real eye-opener. It was a different way of kind of organizing my ideas I already had about music. And so I started thinking pretty intensely about a way that this character could not just get lost and confused and um, you know, pretty downtrodden, but also kind of start embodying or thematically kind of encountering some ideas about music and what music means. Um, I guess socially, like in a with a small s, socially, like not like what it means for all of America. Though I kind of think about that too. But just like, how does this, how does music help this guy to get unlost, or how does it force him to become more lost? And like, how is it a tool of socializing? Right. That was not very succinct, and I'm sorry <laughs> for all the terrible popular culture references. <laughs> Now, this project was a, it's a, a kind of a blind collaboration because you never met before. And uh, Tuna, when you got, I know that you got a just a synopsis of what this is about. How, where did you find your inspiration for your art from just that to start with? Um, honestly, that's I wonder that too myself every day. <laughs> but, but the synopsis was actually pretty well written too, and it was giving some kind of idea what this character's journey is. It wasn't just can't paint a bridge, you know. I mean, we got of course I got some help on those little keynotes too. But uh, I don't know. Did you write the little synopsis or was yeah, it someone else? Yeah, I think I think I wrote that one. That's good. I, I, there's a chance I wrote it, but we, we basically we went <laughs> we went back and forth over email, and we yeah. we gave maybe our favorite scenes of the book. Yeah. And I think that that right. eventually yeah, yeah, led yeah. to yeah. that, and then you came up with a couple of proposals, and then we had some more input, yeah. and then it yeah. there was something already kind of poetic about the description, which I like because I think a good book cover is kind of poetic. It's not just literal and doesn't, you know, something mm. Kevin pushed for too that we didn't just go, if it's a guitar, then the cover is a guitar. You know? um, so it was, it was actually a great experience to work with both of them because they knew what they wanted and they were very like straightforward with it. And luckily we agreed as well. Yeah, we that was us. Yeah. No, I'm very happy. <laughs> but also pleasantly surprised. Like you, uh, you come up with an idea for something or say, this was my favorite scene in the book. This is something that I think might be representative of the book, and then you give it to somebody else, and then they come back with something like Tuna came back with, and it's shocking yeah. that it, it came out that well. It's exciting because it's like the mystery box. You don't know what you're <laughs> gonna get, and then when you don't know the people, it's like the man behind the curtain and the mystery box, multiple levels of. Because this is the first time this team has met today. Yeah. Yeah. That was they both flew in today. Oh, yesterday. 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 Yeah, that was, so that's a kind of one of the things, like, I don't, I've been trying to figure out whether it matters or not, that, like, not actually knowing the person that's doing the editing, in some ways I think was better. Previously, I'd met, at least met and had a meeting with the editor, so you kind of know what sort of person that is, and, and I guess that's maybe helpful for just feeling like a human being when you're doing the process, but, um, 
and I think there was, I don't, I don't mean this in a big way, there was something slightly like dehumanizing about just getting this, you know, this, you send off this Word document and then it comes back with just, you turn on track changes and yeah. it's just like a bloodbath. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's all these comments uh, in the side and like, like our, our um, editor-writer relationship was kind of playing out in this psychodrama and using the comments tool of Microsoft Word, but um, I think that was very healthy in some ways, because at least for me, like part of it was like, whenever I got really wound up about it, there was this, you know, literally shapeless person, person that I was getting mad at. Um, but also it meant like, there was a kind of a weird different way of respecting the person you're working with, because you're, you're only, you don't know anything about them or, or who they are, and, and you're only dealing with these comments that are fundamentally impersonal. The hardest thing about writing is is the rewriting process and the hardest thing about that is is being like sensitive enough to understand the nuances of what the, the people criticizing are getting at and and um, but not overly sensitive that you like break down in tears because they've they, you know, they're not criticizing you, they're criticizing the work. So not knowing the person and only having this medium of the work to kind of communicate through, I think, helps that. Absolutely. Because, yeah. like, whenever I got angry about something, I just sort of, like, I shrug it off a minute later. Like, it's not about me. It's about this thing, and I care about this thing. And obviously, it became really clear really quickly that Ron, like, cared about it as well. So Yeah, no, I wouldn't have gotten mad at you unless I cared. Yeah. 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 But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I think that's also another thing that's uh, kind of fascinating. <laughs> fascinating about working with somebody, at least from that distance, too, I, I would send off some edits and I would write a, I know that these might sound kind of mean, but I didn't mean yeah. them to be mean. I always thought those were really funny. I thought, yeah. oh, isn't that sweet? I like, like, he it. doesn't realize how little I yeah. care whether he's being mean. And so, I mean, like, establishing that relationship, uh, setting up the idea that, well, there's going to be these comments and yeah. these things that I don't necessarily like or I think that you could work harder on in order to accomplish the thing that I think this book is. Um, but those are those are those are little points throughout an entire work. And you don't I don't stop to say, this is the most beautiful scene I've ever read in my entire life. This is wonderful. Yes, yeah. Keep writing stuff like this. I know that that's fine. So I don't talk about that in my comments. The only thing I end up commenting on was maybe sometimes when I was like, well, you were doing this here, and maybe we should do more of that here, something like that. But uh, constructive criticism is still criticism, and uh, when you're when you're writing it and trying to live a life like yeah. we were doing, like we we would have an opportunity to work on it like a week at a time for like an hour a day or something like that, and so you would have to compress a lot of that time in there, and so my notes would get shorter, and then. Things like that, but uh, yeah, it was. I felt fairly antagonistic at times, and I, I apologize. <laughs> yeah. The good thing is though, there was like we have, we had a what, five hour time difference between us, so sometimes I could time when I sent my manuscript off um, <laughs> to know that it wasn't going to be read for like, a good twenty four hour period, and I, so I was like insulating myself from any. Um, wrongdoing. <laughs> I would every once in a while say, "Damn it." No, I'm just joking. We had some good nerdy <laughs> conversations about grammar, too. Yeah, that's literally my favorite part. <laughs> Talking about M dashes. Yeah. It's my favorite. The Oxford comma. Oh, the Oxford comma. You hate it. And I do hate it, yeah. Yeah, and the, the British... The, the funny thing is, is like a, I made this stylist. This, 
This is why you come out on Saturday yeah, yeah. night to bookshop. Let's talk about commas. <laughs> I, I, you make this deliberate aesthetic choice as a writer to not use the Oxford comma, which is like, it's the comma that comes before the and in a list of things. And, and then, like, the email comes like, no, the house style is we use the Oxford comma. No, literally, the first thing I did in our draft, too, was uh, the British, they put their commas outside of quotation marks. Oh, yeah. And, just, and I felt so much satisfaction putting it back the way I, I wanted it. The thing is, I, I always put it outside when it, I, I just had a bad rule that I made up for that. Yeah, no. It wasn't. <laughs> that wasn't even the British fault. The Britishers. I don't know what Britain. they're called. Yeah. The Fault of Britain. That's your next one. That should be your Halloween costume. I, one of you should be an Oxford comma. The other one should be quotation marks. I don't know and how you're going to do it. But, yeah, we're going to scare, and then scare all of L.A. And then the point, the dot will be, like, inside. <laughs> deciding whether you want it. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's a good costume. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I don't know She's the mean. artist, man. <laughs> Oh, it's just fun. I just uh, I don't need to say anything. I just let these guys go. Um, I do have a, a couple of questions I do want to try to get to before we're done here. I, I, I'm really curious as to um, uh, what your creative process is. The actual specific creative process of sitting down and working. You know, um, do you? Uh, well, we'll start with two and out. Do you have like a, a a way? Like, do you have music? Do you have a, a workstation that? Is there a time of day that you work better in? 4 a.m. is the best time to <laughs> No, but it's true. She, this she heard about this in the mic. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to mention 4 a.m. 4 a.m. is now in the popular culture as a thing. But anyways, go ahead. Really. There was a talk, TED Talk about yeah, it, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's so amazing. Yeah. Sorry work, about that. As a work time? No. No, just as uh, a phenomenon. When, when crazy things happen. Oh, wait, waking up in the middle of the night at 4 a.m.? You're either waking up or you're just going to bed. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's a strange time of night. But it's a perfect time to write. Best time to have breakfast. Perfect, perfect time to paint. No, it's really a. Uh, actually, I've been very lucky uh, because I didn't have to pull too many all nighters. But uh, it's kind of nice to always have things that inspire you towards the kind of image you're trying to make. So if it's, you know, Phantom of the Opera playing, I don't think you're gonna make the happiest image. But uh, it's nice to surround yourself with similar feeling things. So I would always have the descriptions they sent me up like constantly rereading it to make sure that I can get it right. But otherwise, the art of like. The, the process of making a piece and making art, it's, you know, we should always enjoy it, otherwise it's pointless. So you play music, you have two minute dance parties, get up like when you get tired. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, you just like get up and put on some weird song you would never listen to and you have a two minute dance party. Were you multi, did you have all three covers that you were working on simultaneously or did you focus Actually, on? Actually, yeah, I think it's best to, when you're doing a series of anything, I'm sure even when it's a book, you have to understand how they are in relation to one another. Aesthetically, that's important to me. Unfortunately, the book covers changed, the books changed, and the, we, I, I can't show what I worked on as right. together, but it's important. Everything should be different but the same. And, you know, hard balance to strike. I know, like, most people don't care if the blue is 20% pure and then, you know, the value that whatever, but I care. It's not, you know, they need to work together. Doug? Uh, um, oh, sorry, I just trying to remember what the question was. Oh, That's all right. 4 a.m., um, what do you do at 4 a.m.? 4 a.m., I'm asleep, always. Um, I do all my writing in the morning right after breakfast. And, like, when I'm writing from nothing, creating a first draft, then it's like usually two or three hours of work, and then I'm too tired to do any more writing work. I just move on to doing other things after that. And uh, 
the, when I'm rewriting or like the editing stuff, I tend to work much longer hours because I feel like it's just a different, it's a different mode of working, and I can work at it longer um, before I get you know, before my brain collapses. Do you write to music? Oh yeah, yeah, always, yeah. Um, it kind of depends. Uh, I I don't tend to think that much about about it. It's more like whatever I feel like playing that morning, though. The thing I'm I'm writing a new novel now, or well, I'm not I'm working on the second novella, but um, when I, I've got a manuscript I recently finished for a new novel, and I actually specifically listened to certain types of music while I was writing it, just because uh, I thought it would help. <laughs> I don't think it did, but I, I didn't. I was writing about something. It was set in the 1940s and 50s, and it seemed dumb to be listening to punk rock right. when you're writing about the 1940s and 50s. That was it. Normally, I just mostly listen to punk rock. What did you listen to from the? 40s? Oh, it's just all uh, mostly jazz. Uh, mostly jazz. That's pretty cool. Um, actually, mostly jazz from the '60s. But um, you're like after the first ten years, yeah. it doesn't matter yeah, how yeah, old. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just can't listen to Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> Otherwise. What's your process, Lon? Um, it depends, I suppose. Uh, editing is uh, a kind of interesting process, and I think time also having a life and trying to figure out work schedules and stuff. I, I happen to be an editor uh, for my day job, and so uh, I would steal a lot of time at the office to work on uh, uh, Doug's book, and then I would also, I, I might be inclined to write in the mornings or something like that, but it, it turned out that uh, I worked on Douglas's book quite a bit at night, which is about the time that I would read a book anyways, and I think one of the fun things about this book was, I mean, editing is is work. It's really, it's not the, the fun stuff. It's looking for commas. It's trying to uh, make sure that something that happened on page one uh, isn't, you know, uh, we don't say something on page 20 that says something other than what we had hoped uh, was accomplished on page one. So trying to keep track of all those things can get a little tiring, but one of the fun things that you get to do, especially with a book like this, is I didn't know a lot about Tin Pan Alley or uh, that scene in New York at the turn of the century, um, and so fact-checking or something like that it turned out to be kind of a fun process late at night, and uh, uh, so I found that I ended up working best late at night, getting a chance to kind of do research on the book itself, and really, it, it was just like being a reader. So I, I think editing is probably circumstantial, depending on the work that you're doing. Uh, but as a writer or something like that, working in the morning, my brain always seems fresh, but uh, working on the book at night was kind of a treat. It was something that I got to do to, uh, uh, I don't know, say, you get to do this now. Right, it's yeah. your time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that, that was actually, that was quite fun. All right, I've got one more question. This is a fun one. Um, I, I went to school for theater, and I'm an actor, and uh, I know when I read, I hear the story read to me. So I'm curious as to how everybody reads, and especially as an editor, is it hard to read without editing, or? So, I mean, to <clears throat> are you talking about it, like hearing like this, picking, the the way somebody book. might speak? No, when you things. read a story, how do you read a story? Like, do you do you hear the story read? Do you see it in pictures? Do you see it in images? I think it, it, I mean it's it's dependent. Uh, I, I would say it usually takes me about five to ten pages before that voice really takes hold, hmm. which is uh, 
you know, uh, having been a teacher for a long time as well, uh, one of the things that you really try to impress upon your students, give it 10 pages. And then it starts to come to life and you start to understand, even if you're not paying attention to it, even the grammar, the, where the comma shows up and how that affects the voice and how that voice is sometimes sad and sometimes angry and sometimes going faster or sometimes going slower and where it wants to take you and suddenly why it's showing you something. Uh, those all seem to affect even the tone at which, like I might hear somebody speaking the story to me. And so those are things that I suppose I look for as I'm reading now, being aware that those first 10 pages are where I'm developing that voice and how it affects me. And I would say for uh, Doug and I, we, 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 we definitely went back and forth over voice quite a bit. And it was something that uh, uh, I loved, and uh, uh, but then not that uh, it changed into something I didn't love, but trying to focus that voice and make it as consistent as possible through the book is basically all I did. Um, and then, yeah, I think we, we got something really solid out of it. It was very fun. Tuna, do you read in images? Do I read? Do you, <laughs> read? No, do you, do you know how to read? Um, <laughs> it's hard. I don't, uh, I, I don't know. It kind of depends on how descriptive the writer is. I think if you read a piece of Tolkien or, you know, somebody who's really actually guiding you, it's like, oh, there, the door was kind of open and there was some light coming through. You immediately do think in images, for me, because like, I set up shots for animated movies, right. do lighting, you know, it's like, that's what I get when I work and I have to always think that way. But what's really exciting is not knowing what the author really sounds like physically, because I feel like I'm, it's my thinking voice that has to read, you know, mm -hmm. and there's something kind of exciting about that. It's like this person here who already tells you things. Right. It makes me sound like I'm schizophrenic. I'm not. I have the but, same voice. But Maybe it's, it's kind of nice. Like you, you, I think it makes you one with the book. Like it makes it a very interesting experience. The fact that you don't know what they sound like. Mm -hmm. And then when you meet them, you're like suddenly. <laughs> it doesn't sound like that at all. Oh, it's the, not the thing like is, though, so I think, I don't know. This might not be actually true. I just thought of it. <laughs> well, you know, throw it out there, man. You can decide. I don't. Um, but I think one of the marks of a really good book is that you do that. It does create a very particular voice for you. That whatever, like, like obviously, I think. Well, again, none of this might. This all may be nonsense. Um, you start reading in your own voice those first ten pages, maybe, and in the really good book, um, over those ten pages, you start hearing a voice that the that the the book is written in. And obviously that might be different for each person, but like you've stopped reading it in your own voice and you're locked into that voice of the, that the writer has created for the narrator of the book. And of course that's also then creating images. It's always, there's all, you're always reading in, in pictures, always. Um, but the really, really good book is the one that, that convinces you of its voice in some way. And, and so then you're not, think, you're not even thinking anymore about Am I, you know, what's going on? Like, where's, why are there all these Oxford commas all over the page? You're just, you're just locked into the kind of voice that writes with an Oxford comma. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. That was our first panel. Thank you guys for. Uh... This has been the How and the Why by Black Hill Press. I'm John Barrett Ingalls. The show was produced by Kevin Stanek and yours truly. The music is Mea Lua by Bossa Zuzu. I wanted to thank everybody for your creativity and your inspiration and to remind you all to keep 
making art. Thank you.